Hi everyone, and you're very welcome to Reinventing the Next Chapter, a podcast where I speak to women who either through choice or through circumstance have had to take a step back, reevaluate their lives and make some powerful changes. I'm your host, Elaine Ryan, life, career and relationship coach. If you're feeling stuck or not where you thought you'd be in life, my hope is that these stories will give you the inspiration and more importantly, the motivation to take the first step towards reinventing your next chapter. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Reinventing the Next Chapter. Today, I am joined by Dr. Lorraine Mansi, or Dr. Lolly, as she's known to most people. Lolly is the program director and a lecturer in UCD's Innovation Academy, which is how I know her and had the privilege of meeting her. She's also an entrepreneur and owner of multiple businesses, including Marry Me Ireland, um, a celebrant, and so much more. She's a podcaster herself. So I'll hand you over to, to Lolly to tell you about all of the various hats that she wears. Thanks very much. <laughs> it's always so strange to hear about yourself in the third person like that. <laughs> yeah, so I am an anthropologist, now work in innovation entrepreneurship, but before that I was an anthropologist working in social justice. I'm a late stage career entrepreneur, only got into entrepreneurial endeavors around early 40s. Before that, was convinced I was going to become an academic, but I did spend a long time in various jobs like waitressing, bar work, traveling, all of that sort of stuff. Like kind of so I didn't ever have a linear career path idea. I it just so everything is late stage for me. Currently the program director in the Innovation Academy, and I run two courses, the graduate certificate in creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship, which is how we met, and a new course that I've just designed that started this uh, last September, which is uh, digital resilience and agility. And that is my kind of new baby. Marry Me Ireland, I let go. I had three companies. I let Marry Me Ireland go during COVID. It was a COVID casualty and I didn't breathe life back into it. But I also am the founder and director of the Irish Institute of Celebrants, the only training organization in, in Ireland for celebrancy, which is to celebrate life's rituals natural extension of my anthropology, I suppose, but we would do vow renewals, naming ceremonies, um, weddings and funerals. Funeral side is the most buoyant at the moment. And I'm currently running courses, teaching people how to sit with the dying and to elicit their life stories. I'm combining that with my tech stuff that I'm doing in uh, UCD because I'm also got a new business coming, which is a sort of virtual cemetery in the metaverse. So you can visit your relatives or my great grandchildren will be able to visit me in the metaverse and see me telling my story in a sort of a hologram form. So, or in the, you know, virtual form, obviously. Oh my God. So yeah, so busy with lots of things, um, championing. My podcast is an entrepreneur like you. It goes out on Dublin South FM radio and then also on Spotify. I champion female entrepreneurs uh, specifically. So we would have in Ireland, we would have 20% female to 80% male. So on my show, I have 80% female, 20% male. The show is really about the fact that entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes and the later stage entrepreneurs actually are more successful. So pivoting your career in your 40s and 50s is actually very beneficial to you uh, statistically. So you'll, you've got more life experience and more chance of making it work. So yeah, I've got a lot of hats and I'm, I love everything I do. <laughs> Great. And that, that point about people pivoting in their 40s and it being really 
beneficial and being able to adapt is really yeah. important for the people of this. We are born multitaskers. You know, it's one of our skill sets as women. So as a consequence, it's not too much of a stretch to take on one more thing very often. And especially, I'm a big fan of multiple revenue streams. We saw during COVID that one thing can come and decimate. You know, you could, many, many people lost their jobs and indeed their lives, unfortunately. But like one of the things that I would always sort of say is don't put your eggs in one basket. Like kind of there are other things that you may be able to do that will generate an income for you if you need it. And financial freedom brings other forms of freedom as well. So don't get stuck, I suppose, is really part of it. And really, if I was to sort of sum up everything I do, it's unsticking people. Okay. (laughs) I'm the unsticker. Yeah. (laughs) Or the unstickerer. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, I suppose, something that I do as well through a different format in coaching and one of the other things that you do with your um, one of your other roles is that you're a mom. Yeah. And you're two yeah. teenage the best role. The best yeah. role. Yeah, exactly right. 16. And and most of the rearing is done, in all honesty. She's rearing me now, I think, partly. <laughs> <laughs> but I have her on the payroll in one of my businesses, you know, and she works right. really hard. So, yeah, I'm just trying to share the love a little bit. <laughs> yeah, great. And, and belated Happy Mother's Day. I, I saw you sharing. Thank you. When you were your daughter's age, I can take you back. You mentioned that you didn't have sort of a linear idea of how your life was going to go. Did you have any idea of what it might look like? I had an idea of the area, which was social justice. I've always had a really strong sense of outrage about inequalities and that come in every form. Um, Poverty, inequality, racism, sexism, inequality in, in all its ugliness. And interestingly, the business I went on to create was around equality in the wedding industry. But I think where I've ended up in education is also about equality of opportunity because strangely, without a kind of a clear path of where it was going to go, I've ended up doing the very thing that I probably wanted to do, which is I do feel that I'm able to make a small difference for people, like kind of, and that's my personal sort of ikigai, the thing that, that lovely Japanese word, I think gets yeah. you up in the morning, you know, your purpose. It can't, for me, the kind of entrepreneur I am, I have to create things that are making differences. Like I feel that it's, I have to contribute in some way. So I don't know if you do that thing with a, do you know that thing with the love languages? What's your love yeah. language? Kind of in those quizzes you can do. Mine is acts of service, like kind of. And so right. that comes through very strongly, I think, in the fact that I get such a huge sense of satisfaction of unsticking people and helping them find a path for themselves. And I don't mean that in the form of toxic positivity of everything's going to be fine all the time. It's totally not. But just trying to find something, help them dig inside of themselves to find something that's going to bring them joy. And very often that's in the form of a new business, but not always. Sometimes it's social entrepreneurship or some kind of way of giving back. So I suppose from a young age, you had that real sense of justice. I did. And I had a lot of anger when I was a kid. Uh, I shaved all my hair off. I had a Mohican. I was a little angry punk girl. I just felt like that it's just because of where you're born is and, and then the circumstances that you're born to. It's nothing to do with, you know, a lot of people are incredibly disadvantaged. And so one of the things I do believe in is that education can, and I don't just mean formal education, I mean educating yourself as well. Education can free you. The more you learn about life and people and have that sort of innate curiosity, the more you could be of benefit both to yourself and to, to other people. So 
I'm on the board of a couple of things. And one of the things I'm, I'm the champion of in, in, in terms of, ed, of formal education is I'm always pushing schools to have more bursaries and more opportunities. And yeah. it's not that I believe that the private system is necessarily any better, but sometimes for certain types of, of people, it can benefit them in a way that it can give them opportunities that other lie they wouldn't have otherwise. And that's really I suppose, payback because of what happened to me. So when I was five, I was spotted in my uh, crash or whatever, like middle school, kindergarten I was going to. I was reading very early and I got put on a full scholarship scheme to a private school from five to 18. So I came from a working class family in West London and um, nobody in my family had even finished grammar school or secondary school. And I ended up through that educational opportunity of, of a full scholarship to a girl, all girls boarding school ended up going on to do degree masters and a, and a PhD. And now I feel I need to pay back to, to encourage schools to give that opportunity. But again, that's about inequality of options. In, a, in an ideal world, we wouldn't need those kind of schools. The schooling system would be more fit for purpose. Education is such a privilege. Like I took it so for granted that by TCD for my, my undergrad, got in, did a master's. I didn't really think that there's other people that would love to be able to do that, but they didn't yeah. have the money or the resources or the support from the parents or whatever. So if you look at the course that you came in on where we met, yeah. that's a fully funded Springboard course. You know, each of those places, the government would give us 4,000 euros to fund people to help unstick themselves. So when I'm writing the proposals to the government, you know, each year for funding, I'm writing on behalf of people that cannot access third level education in any other way, you know. And one of the things I feel incredibly strongly about is that you don't need to have gone through a successful schooling situation. Perhaps your neurodivergent and school wasn't fit for purpose for you. Perhaps you have life experience. So we will take people on letters of motivation with life experience, as well as people that have gone through a level seven or eight it, to, in order to come on to a level nine course. So I take them on the letters rather than the qualifications. And I think that's Oscar Wilde's gorgeous phrase, youth is wasted on the young. So is education. You know? yeah. We should all be at university learning or some kind of situation. And this is what I like about the current sort of open source situation of you can go onto Google and learn anything. You can now go onto AI, chat GPT and all of these amazing things that are being created and you can educate yourself. I think we've we all owe it to ourselves to learn as much as we possibly can. I'm currently going down a rabbit hole on um, the neuroscience side of things in terms of the science of awe, A-W-E, and a science of wonder that's being explored, you know, academically. And it's just that there's a, in Stanford University, there's a center for compassion and they're all scientists. We're not talking about hippies, you know? So it's amazing that people are, academics are now turning to things that were sort of seen as softer, to say these are the things we need in society we need to cultivate more compassion we need to cultivate different quality so we have more more diversity across yeah. the board you know we we shouldn't and it's the reason that my courses are still remote because we have more equality in terms of our class who's in our classes if you're in ucd and you're coming you're attending you've got to live in Southside dublin or within location if yeah. you're online you can be anywhere in the world in my last class my class that finished just the last one that finished i had a guy in the army in syria I had a woman in Los Angeles and they're all attending courses at different, we've got asynchronous engagement, different time zones. That's brilliant. You can access education from anywhere these days and there's opportunities, which is really great. Yeah. And that, those areas of awe and compassion. I know Kristen Neff is yes. big on the, 
the fact that there's yes it's now a field and awe and nature I know it's like a big thing as well but anyway back to you I suppose you had this opportunity to go to private school that was you but and all you knew was that you had a sense of justice other things that people might want when they're younger in terms of marriage and kids did you see all that happening or given your I was a, I was a bit of a lone wolf. I did 30 countries in 10 years after I graduated from my master's. I just wanted to see every corner and inch of the world and all of the people in it. I was fascinated by the fact that we are more similar than different. And when you yeah. start to travel, you realize that. And so, no, I didn't. I was a bit of tumbleweed floating around the world for a long while. And then I did what a lot of people do. I met somebody, I met an Irish guy in Australia and I'd been living out there, I had residency. So he said, come over to my sister's wedding. And sure enough, 21 years later, I'm still here. He's not, but I am. (laughs) So I just, when I came to Ireland, I just, I fell back in love with seasons and I fell in love with the countryside. I fell in love with the people. And I was like, I just, I felt so at home. So that's when I started to put down some roots. Went back to college at the age of 37, started a PhD. And then my I got pregnant three months into that with my daughter. So Ray, you know, had her and did the PhD simultaneously. And then that changed everything because that changed the whole trajectory of where I ended up going. I ended up then getting into teaching in Trinity and then got pulled over to UCD from Trinity, kind of got poached. So was it the PhD that changed everything or having your daughter that changed Both. everything? Yeah, I just knew I suddenly had responsibilities and I was like, that's enough now. That's enough messing around. I've got to make some money. I've got to put a roof over our heads. I've got to, we've got to not only survive, we've got to thrive. Having a child is, a, is such an incredible experience because the thing that was so great for me was it's no longer about me. There was a whole nother reason of living and everything I did then I did for us to enable us to thrive. So the PhD then led into um, various different roles. And eventually I I ended up where I'm currently at in the Innovation Academy. Although you started off academic, there was a kind of a nomad period then where you were... Yeah, definitely. Exploration period. Like I just had no idea what I wanted to do. But I was 37 when I got pregnant with Edie. So I was like, last chance saloon kind of thing. You know, I was like, it's now like the universe has chosen this moment. Everything now changes. And I was like, it's time to get serious. So I got serious. (laughs) So within five years of that, so the time I was 42, I had a PhD, I'd started a business and then at 42, 43, and now I'm a decade later, I'm 53 now. So it's just been this trajectory of just put pouring my heart and soul into working. And then once everything was was running and I had enough to survive on and to thrive, then I started having to think about, okay, what can I do in terms of acts of service that's going to make me happy? And then all of my other roles and jobs have been around that because that's what gets me contentment. So you didn't feel a, a lack of freedom after you settled down a bit more? <laughs> I think I'd done it. <laughs> Done it all. Got it all out of your system. <laughs> that was a year in Tokyo. There was a year in Ibiza. I mean, I really, I traveled. I properly traveled. I spent six months teaching English in Lao to Buddhist monks. You know, I was just like anywhere I went, I worked and explored people. And that is what I think is part of the reason that you can be successful in later life as an entrepreneur, because you've had your eyes open for such, mm-hmm. such a long time looking at the world. 
it's the curiosity in us that makes us successful. It's it's that's where the innovation comes from, staying curious. And when we're children, we're very curious and we ask thousands of questions. And then we forget to ask questions as we get older. And that actually that's down to our education system. The average teacher in secondary school will ask 300 questions a day and we answer them as students. We forget that we need to ask them again, you know, ourselves. Yeah. So it's kind of what I love about the role that I have at the moment is it's about helping people rediscover their curiosity about life. And it's a, adulting sucks. Like it's a shame, you know, it's tough. It's really tough and it can be very mundane. That's the, again, you know, step outside of your door and look up at the clouds and feel awe for, we are to all extents and purposes, we're made of stardust and we're on a rock hurtling through space. We get so sucked into the little stuff mm. that we forget sort of the bigger picture. Yeah. And I, I'm just incredibly lucky that I get to be around people that are curious themselves. So you need a kind of a tribe when you're exploring the world and going back to the anthropology side of things, we're all seeking connection and we're all seeking our own tribe. And for each of us, that tribe will look and feel different. And I'm very lucky that I found my tribe in sort of the entrepreneurial curious side of things because conversations are fascinating and it's, it's, it's alchemy. It's taking an idea and turning it into gold in some way, Hmm. either in terms of its purpose or its input or what it's doing for people. I'm working now more in the tech side of things, you know, helping people create fascinating technological improvements, not just things to suck us in like our phones, but actually things that are changing the world. One team in UCD at the moment I'm working with have glasses, but the subtitles come up on the glasses rather than on your screen. So like, it's just, there's amazing things going on. And so I'm full of awe and wonder at the technological advances that are happening at the moment that are, I know a lot of people feel negative about there'll be job losses and AI and people are fearful, but I feel the other way. I'm like, I think it's fascinating what's going on and it's changing so very, very fast. And I want to be part of that discussion rather than just passive and watching it sort of unfold. So that's where I'm rooted at the minute. Yeah. And you can see the opportunity, obviously, then. I think we're in what they call the fourth revolution, the fourth industrial revolution. If you think the turn of the century was the first one and we've gone through different technological revolutions, we never imagined that this would be stuck to our hands the way that Mm -hmm. it is. So if we're passive, that's one thing. But if we're active with it and we're using it, it's a tool like a pen. It's a tool, this technology. So rather than sort of get sucked into it, learn how the algorithms work and sort of learn more about what's going on with it, because otherwise we feel disconnected from change. And I think that's when you kind of start to feel a bit old when you're kind of like, I don't understand what's going on. So in your various different roles you have now, it sounds like you have stability, maybe with the lecturing kind of role, but then you have the the creative and the entrepreneur, you know, the buzz of all yeah. of that with, with your businesses. For the way that my brain works, like I need, I need the security of knowing that things are covered, like kind of, you know, that sort of the bills are paid and the, you know, the rent and all the rest of it. At the same time, then that security affords me some freedom to be able to explore other things. I'm currently, you know, training people up, like I say, to sit in the hospices. That works incredible at the moment. It's giving me such a huge sense of satisfaction to be on the sort of the changing end of what is called the death industry, like kind of, and I just, I fell into that really. I don't even know how it all happened. And just the people that I would meet through that are phenomenal. Even just yesterday, I was having lunch with um, somebody that was interested in becoming a funeral celebrant that I'd known years ago. And we we spent an hour talking about 
the privilege of sitting with the dying, you know, I'm sure people in the coffee shop are like, who are these weirdos? But it's there, I just have this incredible curiosity for this sort of stuff. You know, I've always been since a child comfortable in places other people aren't comfortable. I don't find any of it. So I'll, I'll tell you a funny side story. I talked my way in when I was an undergrad, I was in Newcastle University. I took my way into three months work experience in an embalmer's. And they thought I was a medical student, but I wasn't. I was in anthropology and sociology. <laughs> but I, I was doing a research paper on the anthropology of death. And so they trained me as an embalmer. And then I got sort of found out. And they were like, we thought you were medical. Oh, my God. You know, they didn't ask for any references or anything back in the day, end of the 80s. So, yeah, so I know how to embalm people. And I sat yeah. with many dead yeah, people. Like? Just fascinating. What happens to us after we die is fascinating. Mm. And I just have the kind of brain that wants to know everything about everything. Yeah. Well, I know I know a few people who do end of life coaching, so yeah. they're in that space. And did you say that it's it's grown that that business of yours huge, has grown in the yeah so so in the last few years? It's in the last few years. It's to do with the changing landscape and the and the Catholic Church. I think it's to do with those and the number of people that are identifying as Catholic but not going to church. It's to do with, unfortunately, higher levels of young male suicide in this country. I would be doing funerals almost every week, unfortunately, at the moment uh, for younger men, which is absolutely horrific. But again, in terms of acts of service, I can do them and maybe, you know, other people can't. So it brings great comfort to their families to be able to do it. The whole death industry is changing. You know, it's been un almost unchanged since the turn of the century when the term undertaker came from a carpenter, someone undertaking a task. And funeral directors are male dominated, they're family run. And there's this whole section of women rising up in the death industry, firstly as funeral celebrants, but also in terms of death doulas, people sitting with the dying. And now my celebrants right across the country are working with people who are still alive and writing their, going into the hospices and writing their life stories, you know, and it's just fantastically fascinating. If you think that at your funeral, you're leaving the job of telling your life story to someone that's known you some of your life, not all of your life, right? So if my, the job was left to my daughter, she She's only known me since I was 37 or, you know, when she was a baby, when she came into the world. Like, what about my life before that? So I have my whole funeral written and tucked away. I'll just revisit it every decade and add on an extra 10 years of, it, of stories. <laughs> how, how does that feel, that process to have done that? Great, really great. Like, I, I think it's, there's something, if you can accept your own mortality, it's inevitable, death and taxes, you know, if you can accept your own mortality in some way, I feel it gives me just an extra sort of pep in my step from making the most of my life. Like the people I know in palliative care are joyous on the whole. They understand that life is very fleeting. The unexpected occurs all of the time. So I try not to, you know, I try to live with gratitude and not take things for granted. You know, obviously not can't do it all the time. I'd, I'd like to cultivate more of it, but it's just this idea that we are here for a short time. And what are you, in the words of Mary Oliver, the poet, what are you going to do with your one wild and fantastic life? Don't get sucked into all of the negatives. I'm working at the moment on this sort of anti-bucket list, which is a kind of code of how not to live. Like instead of going, oh, I want to go to places and do things. It's how, you know, a, rem a daily reminder on what not to do in terms of sort of don't take things for granted. Remember to look up at the sky every now and again. You know, that's what it's done. Okay, that's a different way of looking at it. And the, that whole, the five regrets of the dying and stuff like that, it doesn't sound like you're going to have any of them because 
I suppose you're living your life to the fullest, but also you're so close to death from that business. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you though, I wrote these uh, some beautiful things that have come out of working in palliative care. And like, here are the five truths of an amalgamation of a series of data. It's not my data, it's out of somebody else's, but I'm borrowing it. The five regrets of the dying. Yeah. The first one, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself. Mm-hmm. The second one, I wish I hadn't spent so much time at work. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Yeah. And the last one, I wish I'd let myself be happier. It's a choice. Yeah. What we do on a daily basis, the narrative we tell ourselves, the story we 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 inhabit. But I think the first one, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself. You need to reassess all of the time, you know, of, yeah. of what do I want now? You know, what I wanted in my teens and twenties is certainly not what I want now. I like contentment. I like to exercise. I like to be involved and meet new people. I like to feel like I might be making a small impact in some way. You know, those things are really important to me. And so that's the courage, the, the courage to choose those things and not the things on my non-bucket list, <laughs> which yeah. is things that are not going to make me feel like I'm flourishing. And I mean, they sound very simple, but it's not always that easy to put it into practice. Really, really you make it yeah. sound easy. <laughs> It's a bit like design your life, you know, like kind of we design all sorts of other things. We never really take stock of what do I really want and how could I get there? We don't give ourselves space for that. It's great that so many people are doing gratitude journals now and journaling, you know, more often because you can look back and say, okay, what did I, what did I want a while back? And what do I want now? How am I feeling? You know, it's this sort of stay in touch with your, with yourself. We shouldn't be all living on autopilot is the bottom line, really, I think. And and most of the time we are, we're exhausted most of the time. I try to do things that are going to make me less exhausted and feel more invigorated. And sometimes that's sort of a bit of radical self-care. All of that stuff works. And then, as you say, you can look back at your gratitude journal or or your vision board or whatever it is and and see the things that actually happened. Yeah. One of the the interesting things happened recently is my daughter's father's uh, gone back to Australia. So (laughs) weirdly now, so I have to take her over this summer because she's 16. She can't be doing long haul on her own. And I'm like, wow, okay. I wasn't expecting that. But then all of a sudden I was like, hang on a minute, he's in Western Australia. I've always wanted to go to Bali. So I'm going to drop her off and spend three weeks having an eat, pray, love time oh, in Bali yeah. before I bring her back. So a negative now has become a positive. So yeah, yeah I'm going to run some entrepreneurial workshops out there so I can put it on the expanses. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Well, I suppose that is what you said. Always find an angle. <laughs> yeah, that is the ability to see. You need to rewire your brain to see that as an opportunity instead of like, oh my God, I don't want to be in this situation, you know. So. I wanted that, but the price of the flight. So I was like, oh my God. Like, and then I was like, hang on a minute. There's got to be a way of spinning this around, you know. So yeah. now I can't wait to go. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> So you've done a lot and you've pivoted and there's been lots of changes. What have been the best bits along the way? I think probably the Innovation Academy finding me. I was working in the School of Social Justice and then they were looking for an academic entrepreneur and there's not an and female, there's not many of them. <laughs> so I was in a small pool and I sort of got headhunted into the job that I, I'm currently in and I absolutely adore. It's the job, it's the, it's finally, and I've had it five years now, it's the job that all of my skill sets seem to work in, whatever, you know, whatever different ones we have. It ticks 
all of the boxes for me, you know, so it's remote. I get to meet interesting people. We get to go on a journey together. I get to be totally myself. There's no performativity. It's just me on a screen and them, and we see where it goes. And I'm privileged that I'm allowed to have an organic approach to, to teaching so that not everything is is planned. And I sort of am able to change things on a whim, I suppose, sometimes. And and so it evolves and that gives me great happiness. And during COVID, my students online were my absolute rock. I mean, they were, you know, some days they were, well, quite often they were the only people I spoke to. And I'm like, we're all still here together, you know, and then yeah. it's kind of, it was, you know, that becomes your tribe then as well. So I think, I think finding a place where, and I talk a lot about, you've heard me say this before, the squiggle career, you know, your mm-hmm. idea of bringing your different strands into one thing in the Innovation Academy, they're all there for me. All of the squiggles, all of the different bits of sort of the, the different yeah. sheens of wool are all in one knot in the Innovation Academy. I'm able to tie it all together. So that's become a home for me and a tribe. And that's where I'm really comfortable. And everything else I'm doing is coming out as an extension of that. Yeah. And what have been the most challenging bits? Divorce was really tough. Kind of that was five years ago. Like that was that was really tough. There was a lot of self-examination that had to happen during that about what I wanted and and how things had gone. And then I think also letting go of some of the fear of the unknown, you know, when you find, you know, I was I was 47 going, God, I'm like, I'm going back on the dating scene. That's horrific. (laughs) And it was, you just, life deals you a hand and you don't have any choice, but to go with it. And like kind of, so there was a lot of fear there, but there was a lot of reevaluation and actually it became the dark gift where I was like, I was devastated, but at the same time also it's enabled me to, to find out who I am now. And that's been an absolute pleasure and challenge and I'm happier than ever which is great I stopped looking externally for happiness and started concentrating on cultivating it myself you know in terms of and it's going to sound trite in you have to fall in love with yourself sounds awful you know but you do you have to this kind of idea of radical self-acceptance I'm like oh you're not doing so bad to myself well done and pat yourself on the back every now and again for just getting through it that's it so I think ultimately as women, we very often feel shame about failures and and we hold everything in and we feel that we judge other people and then we judge ourselves, you know, and this harsh inner self-critic like kind of is doing nobody any favors. Cut yourself some slack. And even at times where I look back and go, God, I was such an idiot. You know, be gentle with yourself. That's the best you could do at the time. You know, yeah, and you didn't know what you didn't know. You know, so yeah, hundred percent. And then the the other thing that's come out of those challenges of the sort of the the undulations is to realize that after a down will be a peak, and after a peak will be a down. You know, it's that's yeah. the way it works. So you just kind of have to go with the flow of it all and and feel the feels. I suppose a great therapist helps really yeah, I does. I was going to ask is when you said you did all the work on yourself, you, you obviously did therapy then. I had a PTSD therapist to start with because it was all such a shock because it was an overnight sort of ending. Um, but I think the idea of sort of self-examination for a lot of people, talk therapy is really useful. But I would also have cultivated great friendships over the years of people sort of that that is also your tribe. I think it's was maybe it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's somebody who says that there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. I do agree. I just think it's our job 
to raise each other up and to support each other. And, you know, I'll, I'll do anything I can to champion other women in terms of support, like be it sort of mentoring or, or whatever. I just think it's, it's, it's really difficult to, to get through all of life's undulations. It's really tough. And sometimes it's okay to lean out and say, I'm not, I'm not doing great. And I think, it, you know, a testament to the amount of, unfortunately, to the amount of, of suicide funerals I'm doing at the moment, you know, we need to talk. We need to say how we're feeling and men seem to be suffering inordinately and especially young LGBTQ specifically, you know, so I feel very strongly we've still got a lot of work to do in Ireland around equality and, and, you know, helping each other. If we could all just be a little bit kinder, firstly to ourselves and to each other, we'd prosper. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like you've learned, you've learned so much through a horrible situation, but it sounds like you're, as you said, you fell in love with yourself again, as cringy yeah. as it can sometimes sound, but we need to do that for ourselves. Awful stuff happens to good people all yeah. the time. Yeah. You know, so you just have to kind of go, right, okay, I'll just sit in it for a while. Five years later, I don't recognize that person that was mm. back there. I'm like, wow, fair play to her. She had it tough, but I feel completely different from all of that now you know so it it is trite it's time it's good friends it's healing it's therapy it's all of that that helps but also don't dilly dally get on with stuff you know life's quick like a heartbeat you know really just I'm like oh my god I'm 54 in a couple of months and I'm just like how did that happen just quick (laughs) got so much so much more to do and do you still believe in love if it's not too personal 100% absolutely this is the other thing, you know, about, about it that you have to, in staying curious, people are endlessly fascinating. And um, yeah, I just, I meet interesting people all of the time. And I, I think part of that is when you can find that, it's not spark, it's not chemistry. It's, it's just, I find people are so interesting, perhaps maybe because of their humility or, or their fragility or, you know, the human condition is very fragile, like kind of, I fall in love with people for all sorts of different reasons, you know, and it's not romantic love necessarily. Mm. It's just God. I just, it's connection. It's empathy. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in love. I just think that the idea of love for me has changed. It's yeah. broad, whereas it used to be a little bit narrower in terms of that. But um, so I've romantic. Never, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know about, you know, more marriage and all the rest of it. I don't know if I need it. Like kind of, you know, my daughter and I are real happy, live by ourselves, cultivating happiness and friendships and everything else. And there's lots of love in my life. So I suppose you've given lots of advice throughout the way, along the way, so I won't ask for anything further. Um, but in terms of anybody considering the courses that you run in the Innovation Academy, when are the next ones coming up? Yeah, so they're, we're going to be running them again in September. So Springboard have like kind of a time when they release them, but you can do a pre-registration. So if you go onto the Innovation Academy website for UCD, you can pre-register for anything that's there. Um, and the courses are both evenings and daytimes now, uh, or they will be in September anyway. And they're amazing. I mean, I think it's just more if you're if you're stuck and you would like guidance on or even you want to try on the entrepreneurial mindset. But we've now got courses in sustainability and leadership in all sorts of different things. You know, it's not just all about becoming an entrepreneur. But if you're curious about what all of that looks like or you feel a bit left behind by the digital world, you might want to have a look at the other course that I'm running because we're doing amazing things with the uh, uh, wannabe Luddites. <laughs> they they come in, they go, I'm a bit scared of all the digital platforms and everything else. And then we just play. We do technological play and we play and have fun. And 
They're making, you know, they, they're making little mock-ups of apps now and all sorts of different things based on sustainable development goals and, you know, just good stuff. So it's just, again, my absolute best bit of advice, stay curious or cultivate curiosity. You know, the more curious you can be about life, the more interesting you're going to find it. Yeah. And I can highly recommend the course in creativity and entrepreneurship. I, I don't know what it was. I just, maybe it was the group I was in with or your lecturing or a combination of everything. I just got such a buzz out of it. It was just, you didn't know what was going to happen on a day-to-day basis compared to with any other course like yeah, it's not like a normal academic course. It's more like yeah. an advent calendar where you open a door and <laughs> Yeah, you could be out the, you could be out on the street interviewing somebody with some idea with clipboards. I remember we were doing that in the IFSC one day and then doing something completely different the next day. But yeah, it's great. The curiosity piece in it uh, was great. You didn't know what, what any day was going to entail. So yeah, and you're Dr. Lolly on on Instagram, aren't you? Yeah, Instagram and then uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, so if you go, want to connect with me, please connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to send me a little um, message. And then also uh, my podcast is on Spotify, which is called An Entrepreneur Like You. And I've got a lot of gorgeous women on it and uh, a few lovely men too, <laughs> who are chatting yeah. about Irish and chatting about their stories, you know, and their journeys. And it's the real story of, of how it's been uh, rather than sort of the promotional story. It's the, yeah. it's the warts and all stories. Yeah, which is great. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Mel Lolly, for coming on today. You're and I'm very sure welcome. It's lovely to see you again. My sister will get lots of useful information out of it. So thanks for all of the tips and best of luck with the next chapter. Thanks very much. Thanks to my lovely guest today and thanks to those of you that listened. If you like this episode, please share or tell a friend. I'll be back next time to talk to another amazing lady who has reinvented her next chapter. <laughs>